Hello, welcome to the Marriage Underdogs radio show. I'm your host, Chris A. Matthews. And once again, I have a dynamic guest. I would like to welcome to the show, Dr. Corey Yeager, who's a licensed marriage and family therapist and also the author of How Am I Doing? 40 Conversations to Have with Yourself. Mm -hmm. Welcome, welcome. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. It's good to be with you. Oh, man, I'm so glad to have you on the show Dr. Yeager, and I thank you once again for taking time out of your schedule. And I always love to start off, especially when I have a Black male licensed marriage and family therapist in front of me. What got you into the field? That's always my first question, because it's not a lot of us doing this work as LMFTs. Yeah, I, I, I would say what got me into the field, I think the field found me as much as I found the field. There's a call. I, it was a calling. I think it still remains to be so. Um, one of the things that, that I talk a lot about is as I went through the master's program in psychotherapy, marriage and family therapy, um, I kept hearing them describe this systemic thinking. And every time they described it, I thought, well, I already do that. That's the way I live. I didn't know y'all called it that, but okay. Um, so this collectivistic way of being, especially in black and brown communities, um, really is connected to this systemic way of thinking. Um, so I was working at Ford Motor Company. They were closing the plant. They gave me an opportunity to go back to school and get my master's. Um, and I just sat down with my wife and said, I don't master's. I'm the first in my family to even get, get a BA. And I only got that a year ago. I don't even know what a master's is. Um, so we sat down and I started talking with her saying, well, what do I do? what do I like to do? And I said, well, I'd like to talk to people, right? I was working as a union representative, talked to people all the time and I loved it. Um, so we found this systemic thinking, this master's program that was absolutely a great fit. It has continued to be so. Um, and I, that systemic way of being and thinking speaks directly to me. Well, I, will, I must say you're a gift to the field. Um, I'm glad that it found you because as a, younger African-American man to see someone like yourself um, opening doors and, and and just being a pioneer. Because when you think about the book you recently offered, How Am I Doing? 40 Conversations to Have with Yourself, the book really dives into this self-exploration ex, self journey, right? So when you think about with couples, can you share with us some major points on why it's important for relationship partners to have a really good understanding about who they are before engaging in that relationship with another person. Yeah, I think it's critical, Chris, before I can be, and I say it to my wife all the time and my kids, before I can be a good husband, a good father, um, a good therapist, anything, I have to be a good Corey for Corey before mm -hmm. I can be anything else. Um, so I think this is a critical miss that we haven't explored deeply. Who am I before I become more deeply rooted in the context of my marriage? Who do who am I? What do, what struggles do I bring to this relationship? Right. What positive pieces do I bring to this relationship? And recognizing and understanding that as I venture into a relationship is deeply important. And I don't think that we've done that work um, on a consistent basis across this society. So realizing and recognizing who I am, how I came to be, and then how that fits into the context of the relationship. I think is really extremely important. And we've got to do a better job of figuring that out before we seek to be a good husband. All right, gotta be, gotta know who I am before I can be a good husband. Gotta know who I am 
before right. I can be a good daddy, right? So I think exploring that, that doesn't mean we can't be okay at being a dad or a husband without doing our work, but we don't want to be, I don't want to be an okay husband. You want to be the best you can be. That's right. I want. I don't want to be an okay dad. I want to be a superb, the best version of myself. And that asks and speaks to individual work of figuring out who we are. And that's really where the book came from. Not how are you doing, but how am I doing, right? To do that deeper dive on who I am, how I came to be. And I'm glad you mentioned doing that deep dive because you have to be able to gain an understanding for your needs, wants, and desires so you can communicate those to another person. For those listeners that are already in a marriage and and Dr. Yeager, you, you've been with your wife, I believe you said 23 years? Yes, sir. So 23 years married. Can you talk about the reset that goes through that process of marriage? Every You researchers, you say about every seven years, you're kind of mm -hmm. resetting and mm -hmm. how your book and information can help with the reset of who you are as an individual so you can present new needs and new approaches to who you are to your partner? Well, recognizing that as time goes on, we transition and, and become different versions of ourselves. Um, so knowing that there will be times where we have to reset and check in with, all right, so I've started to go off individually into this world. Did my wife follow that path? And did I follow her path? Or we do? are we diverging? Mm. And one thing that I say a lot, and I think it's simple, but, but extremely important, is that I love my wife every day. There are days I do not like my wife. Mm. I don't like you today. I don't like you today. You've done something that, because let's be real, the only unconditional relationship that I've ever had is with my dogs and my kids. Everything else has conditions on it. Nice. If my wife does something or cheats on me, there's conditions that may say, Absolutely. oh, hold on. I don't know how this is going to work. Yeah. But if my, if my kids do something, I'm still going to be behind them. Right. So recognizing that I don't have to like you every single moment of the day, but I should love you through all the struggles that we have. And differentiating between this like and love is something we haven't really talked about a lot. Um, so what is this like? What is this love? Where do they diverge? And where do I remind myself that this is a moment I don't like what you've said or done, uh, but we can recover from that. The critical aspect of it in terms of relationships and marriage is that we must always be committed to repair. Mm. Both parties in the marriage must be committed to repair because there's gonna be moments that you must repair. There's gonna be struggles in the marriage. There are no question about it. There are gonna be struggles in the, in the romantic relationships. But if both parties are committed to repair that struggle, you'll always figure it out. The, one of the struggles comes in is when one party's not committed to repair. Yeah. If one party wants to repair and the other one's saying, I don't know if I want to repair this, then ensues the struggle, right? And and Absolutely. we'll talk about it more, I'm sure, but Dr. Bill Doherty, who's a, a G in our field, mm -hmm. who happened to be my advisor at the University of Minnesota, where I got my PhD, utilized a concept called discernment counseling, right. which is really saying that there are what he called it couples on the brink, on the brink of divorce. They came to Dr. Doherty, and I did a lot of work with this, saying one couple was leaning out of the marriage, one couple was leaning in, meaning that they came in saying one partner was saying, I want to figure this out. I don't want this to break up. But the other partner was saying, I don't know if that's I don't know if that's where I'm at. I may want to move on. 
So figuring out where that stands is critically important. And especially, especially for our population of marriage underdogs, those that may be in a troubling season of marriage, discernment counseling is a good fit. Can you talk a little bit more about some of the, the research around discernment counseling, the odds, um, really giving the listeners a good description of the relationships that could benefit most from discernment counseling? Yeah, I think it, the relationships that will benefit the most from discernment counseling or, or couples on the brink are those couples in marriage or romantic relationship. They don't have to necessarily be married. They can be in a long-term committed relationship that hasn't been, that they haven't been married. Uh, but now they've hit a skid. They've hit a point in their relationship where things aren't going great. It could be infidelity. It could be financial infidelity. It could be all kinds of things. And then what we have is that leaning in and leaning out couple. Um, so the research tells us that a, a vast majority of those that start to consider divorce, they're usually not both considering divorce at the same level. One in, one out. One of them's in and one of them's out. So that you have one of the couples that's saying, I think, we're, I think we should get a divorce. And then that other couple is saying, I don't want, that other part of the couple is saying, I don't want to get a divorce. I want to figure it out with you. So now you see you have a juxtaposition of they're not on the same page. Well, discernment counseling is really saying we're going to take four sessions, never more than four. So it's short term, limited sessions. You're not just going to keep coming and going that you dedicate from the beginning to say, oh, we're going to take these four to figure out where y'all are. Mm -hmm. And in those four sessions, figuring out all right, early on who's leaning in, who's leaning out. And then what we do, it's a hybrid version of therapy in discernment counseling. So that means you both do a, an hour of individual. Each session is an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. An hour, no, 30 minutes of individual each with, mm -hmm. the, with the therapist, and then an hour of coming together. And that will allow the therapist to say, all right, I've talked to this side and that side, got a good sense. Now let's bring y'all together and talk about these issues. Um, and having an unbiased, I think this is the critical aspect of therapy, having an unbiased third party relegate the conversation. Absolutely. That, right? That I'm not by, I'm, I'm unbiased about if it's Chris or his wife. I don't it, know. It, would, it what makes you unbiased is you don't have the emotional attachments. That's right. I, so I don't bring any emotion to that. All I'm doing, and we talked about this before, Chris, is I'm listening to your content laden stories. Tell me stories about why you all are here. And both parties will have stories and they may mm -hmm. have the same story with differing versions of the story. Well, the truth usually lies somewhere in between. Right. So if I'm unbiased, I can say, well, Chris, hold on now. We've talked a little bit, and it sounds like you're not telling all of that. Let's talk a little more deeply about how you got here, because there's some other elements that we have to bring to this. So now, all of a sudden, we can get that leaning in, leaning out on a more even playing field, and with four sessions, begin to attack this process. And the, the mission is, at the end of the four sessions, now we have an agreement. Now, let's be clear. That agreement can be, yeah, we're getting divorced. That's where we are. Yeah. Uh, we, we need to go to another therapist to help us unwind all this stuff. But we both are now on the same page of that's where we are. The hope is, though, that you can come, that, that the couple can come together and say, we need further counseling. We do need to, we, we do want to figure this out. And now at the end of those four sessions, now you begin to go do more marriage-rooted counseling. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a, a number of aspects, but discernment counseling is critically important as well. 
Now, I'm so glad you took the time to break that down because as a practicing licensed marriage and family therapist, I take a unique approach to meet with all of my clients individually first. So I predominantly only treat couples. I'll mm -hmm. meet with both partners individually to process and do my own evaluation, mainly because I don't want to be blindsided and I want to make mm -hmm. sure that I'm providing the value they're paying me for. So I need to know mm -hmm. where we stand. Are both people in? Are both people out? Or is one in or is one out? And mm -hmm. then there might be some times where couples or partners are ambivalent. They don't know. Well, we can yeah. then create a goal where the first goal mm -hmm. looks like, are we going to do therapy? Or yes. are we going to need to look at dissolving the relationship? And like you said, you can make a referral to a specialist that does yes. that work. And, it uh, sounds like you're doing discernment counseling all day. Hey, exactly. Absolutely. That's what it sounds like. Hey, well, I, I appreciate you sharing that because the goal is to make sure we serve our clients in an ethical mm -hmm. manner. And I found earlier on when I was practicing, and I'm sure you might have this experience at some point, you have people come in and they're spinning their wheels for two or three sessions and there's not any structure. There's not any real direction. And, you know, as a clinician, I want you to speak on this. We like to enjoy the work too, right? There's certain mm -hmm. sessions we enjoy more than others. Can you talk about situations you might have been in as you've progressed throughout your career? Um, really kind of define your avatar, your target population. Yeah, it, for me, I have I, I run the gamut of working with couples and families, but my the work that I love the most is with black and brown folks. So that could be a teenager with parents that is, is struggling. That could be couples um, that are struggling. Uh, but to be able to sit with folks for my community that is that oftentimes don't engage therapeutic adventures at a high rate. We know the research tells us that black and brown communities don't engage therapy at a high rate. Well, my doctoral work at the University of Minnesota was around engaging couples um, and finding ways in which to confide with others outside of the relationship that may be able to be supportive. Um, so I started to work with barbers and beauticians where folks of color usually go and get things off their chest right. and do an intervention and train those, those nodals, we call them nodals, people that go to in the community to say, hey, so you're, I'm not trying to train you to be a therapist, but you're I do want to train, <laughs> that's right, I do want to train you to, recognize certain things. Maybe you want to counter some conversations this way or that way, and then have a list of resources that you can draw upon that you have somebody that's sitting in your chair that may be struggling with something. You can say, hey, have you ever talked to Dr. Yeager? He's a local. You may want to talk to him. This may be somebody that could be helpful. So now all of a sudden, instead of they become the first line of defense that may push us into a space of getting resources to be more supportive for our, our romantic relationships, long-term long-term committed relationships or marriages. Man, I, I'm so glad that you shared that work because that concept aligns so well with the systemic-based thinking that we're trained mm -hmm. and taught in school. Mm -hmm. And it also empowers the community and it's a collaborative effort. And I think about being a black man in, in, in our African culture is very tribal. And I feel like, the work you're doing is collecting, it's connecting the community back to the roots so we yes. can all each one teach one. That's um, I, I want to go back to something you said earlier. You were talking about the, every relationship outside of maybe a parent child relationship or animal 
um, own, own animal owner relationship, it requires some condition, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I, I want you to talk more about how you can see conditions in marriage as the appropriate boundaries. And I ask this question because there'll be couples that I treat, I'm sure you've experienced this as well, but one partner will ask, when is enough enough? So when should divorce or dissolving the re- relationship be put on the table? And, and I know mm-hmm. all therapists have different opinions. Some say never, some some give factors. I want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, so we have to realize that the it, the couple and we talked about this briefly before, that the couple is the only version of normal that you ever need to be concerned about. We can't be worried about what's normal in my relationship compared to someone else's relationship. So Chris and his wife have a norm. You and your wife have a norm that you've established over the 18 years that you've been together. Mm -hmm. That becomes your norm. If I then, with my wife Carrie, begin to compare to Chris and his wife's normal, oftentimes may fall short. We may fall short because we're comparing. There is no normal outside of the relationship. So recognizing that when my wife and I have struggles, that may not be a struggle for Chris and his wife. So how can I compare? There really is no way. So setting up boundaries and conditions in which we both understand this is the boundary that we have within our relationship, not what someone else says the boundary should be. I think the other thing is, is that boundaries, setting up boundaries is relatively easy. All right, we're not going to do this. We're not going to do that. That's not the hard part. The hard part is enforcing the boundary. When something comes up, how do we enforce the boundary that we've already agreed upon, right? We're not going to have infidelity outside of our relationship. We both agree. It's not the setup. It's the enforcement. It's the enforcement. Yes, yes, right? Because it's easy to set up boundaries. Okay, we're not going to do this. We're going to do that. Okay, that's cool. But what happens when you cross it? Yeah, now all of a sudden that boundary has been pushed. And how do we respond? Do we let it go? Because if you let it go, if we say, there will be no infidelity in this relationship, that's the boundary. But then I come home at three in the morning smelling like another woman. Now all of a sudden I've broken that boundary. Now does my wife say, hey, we're not doing that. We're going to have to figure it out. Or does she say, I'm going to let that go because it doesn't happen off. Because then what you've done, Dr. Phil says this all the time, that we teach people how to treat us, mm. right? If, if, mm. if, if you start, I say this all the time, how you begin a relationship will find its way throughout the relationship. So if I met my wife and I paid for the first meal, the first 30 meals, we went out, I paid for everything. And then on, on the 31st date that we get on, I say, well, I ain't paying. I, I pay all the time. I ain't paying. Well, I've already set it up that I pay every time. Now she's saying, well, what's wrong with him? Why is he doing this now? Because I've set it up in that way. So recognizing early on in the relationship, what are those boundaries? How will we move? And then realizing when we change from that, that there's going to be pushback. People aren't going to like that. Uh, I think that's a critical way um, or a thing that we need to look at. Well, you you just put on a master class when it comes to boundaries because the biggest <laughs> piece that you talked about was the enforcement. And I just want to thank you because that perspective is so helpful for all of the listeners because the setting up part isn't the hard part. It's the enforcement. Yeah. And a lot of times people may not know what to do when they're 
charged in the position to have to enforce a boundary yeah, because you have emotions involved. Now, I want to I want to change gears and add something somewhat in alignment to that to that topic. You do mm -hmm. a lot of work with professional athletes. Um, I know you were the um, main therapist for the entire Detroit Pistons organization. Mm -hmm. And when you look at that population, high earners, a lot of travel, um, a lot of money, right? Um, mm -hmm. and, and in a little bit of work that I've done with athletes, a, a lot of the couples came in with infidelity. So when you see that take place in that population, um, what what is it about? Is it the person? Is it the relationship? So I guess I'm trying to ask you to, to give more insight on um, why do you find that certain men cheat? And that's a common question I get from a lot of female partners that I may counsel in heterosexual relationships. They'll jump in the session. First question, Chris, why do men cheat? Or why, why did he cheat on me? And I know earlier you talked about all marriages being different, but if you could give some context to what you've experienced on, on why men cheat, that would be helpful. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's to some degree a loaded question. I think that the emotional baggage that men bring into relationships is oftentimes not discussed. Um, they haven't, no, men haven't talked about the emotional baggage they have. They may know a little bit about their emotional baggage, but they've been taught to just disregard it, suppress it, push it down and away. Right. Um, and the, and what we know about that emotional baggage is it doesn't just go away because you get married. Oh, I got married and it's just going to all go away. It doesn't work that way. Right. The right? marriage doesn't what, wash away the sins like the bad. It does not. It actually <laughs> yeah. can expose Though mm. so that emotional baggage more often than not. So then all of a sudden now we have a couple that's struggling because the, the man has emotional baggage and they're seeking to satisfy that emotional baggage. And that may look like infidelity. Right. Right. So that may not just be the struggle. It's a symptom of it's not necessarily that they are just, oh, hey, I want to find uh, all the women that I can. It could be a symptom of emotional baggage that may be deeply rooted in the trauma of their lives are different pieces. So, so, it so it doesn't always attach to the other partner. And I think you're providing yes. a blessing to so many listeners right now, because when a person experienced being cheated on, cheated on, the first thing they ask themselves is why I was Why me? Why, why so, me? So, yeah. so why me? We want to real, really look at the, the idea of, so if, if a man has cheated on his wife, the wife oftentimes will think, I'm just not satisfied if I, I did something wrong. And I'm not saying that, that can't be the case. Sure. But more often than not, it's not about that person. It's not about your wife. It's about who, who you are, what you feel you need to do, and, and how your emotional baggage is impacting you. So now you've, you, you've strayed outside of the marriage to fulfill something that you're not clear on but could be rooted in something major happening. It doesn't have to be major, but something else happening that you as a man feel like I got to fulfill this. I have to fulfill that. I, I don't know that I, financially I'm doing all I can. So I'm yeah. going to go outside of the marriage because I get satisfied in a different mm -hmm. way. And I, I get to smile and giggle over there. But when I come home, we got to worry about these bills. We got to worry about these kids, where we're going to send them to school, all those worries. But if I go outside of that, I can just kind of giggle and, and I don't have to worry about all of that, right? So how do you figure out if we are going to commit to someone, what those boundaries look like? And let's be real. There could be marriages and there are where the boundary is, just don't bring chaos to my house. Right. You do yeah. whatever you do, whatever you do outside. And, and, and that may work for those couples. 
and, and, and like you said earlier, the, yeah, the way you see the marriage is that's two people's own shared space to create the yes. boundaries they see fit. And and yes. that's the part I love about doing the work to to have that permission. I think is there because I stay out of judgment. Like I don't I don't have to judge how two people seek to develop a relationship together. When they're coming to me, it's it's my my job to help make that better. But I don't have to judge what it that's looks right. like, and then I don't have to compare it. Also, using what you were describing uh, earlier, right. it does need to be compared to someone else's marriage. And you you also talked about how with men they may have emotional baggage they brought into the relationship. Yes. yes. So those factors are so critical. That's right. Important. And we have to realize too, when we come into relationship with someone else, right? Usually we stay in relationship because where I have a deficit, my wife has is not, doesn't have a deficit. She may be strong in that space. Well, it's complimentary. That's, that's right. That, that, that's right. So over time, that, that compliment can erode. People change and, and different things happen. The other thing that I would say is really important is when we come into relationship, there is a battle for the moving forward agenda. There's a battle for the agenda. So I bring my life experience and my upbringing to the relationship. My wife brought her upbringing to the relationship. Now a battle ensues for a new agenda. Right mm. now, we're going to battle for all right. What are we going to do in terms of discipline for the kid? My wife grew up in a family that no one ever got spanked or whooped. I grew up getting the extension cord. <laughs> so now, all of a sudden, there's a battle for how we're going to raise these babies. Mm. We're going to have to figure out how to raise them because I grew up saying you whoop their butt, and she grew up saying you don't ever do that. So now the the battle ensues for what we will do in this new agenda. And we have to be okay as individuals that I may not do what mom and dad did. Even it might've worked, but that doesn't work for my wife and I. Being okay with pushing back on the value system that I had, that I thought was really important and obviously worked well enough for me because I did okay. So that battle for agenda is critically important and realizing and recognizing early in the relationship that Mm -hmm. the battle is ensuing. It's happening every day, right? right? So being clear on that. And and I, and I love that you use the word battle for, you know, that position, because in therapy, when clients come in, we're often seeking to win the battle for structure while losing the battle for initiative. Mm-hmm. We seek that our clients win that battle for initiative. And, you know, I, I, I want you to share real quick, what are some tips for partners who are considering entering therapy? Because you talked earlier about how black and brown communities typically don't tend to seek out counseling. I know it's beginning to change a little bit, but but what are some things we can help uh, provide to the listeners that may be considering counseling, but they didn't grow up in a family or household that normalized therapy? Yeah, and I, and I don't think that's abnormal, especially in the black and brown community. It has not been normalized. Actually, we have been told from a young age, don't be talking to nobody about what we do in this house. Right. And what does that create? That creates versions of secrets right, that we hold these secrets that we know, but mom and them say, well, don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. So if you're 10, 12, 15, 17 years old, and that's all you've known, and then you're 24 and you find yourself in a, in a relationship, now you have that, again, that's that piece of that battle ensuing. So realizing and recognizing that we're no longer children in, in our parents' household. We've now moved into relationships and we get say on how those relationships are developed and formed that they don't have to be the way mom and grandma and said, 
this is how we operate. Because if we're being clear, I'm 54. If I go back into the, I was born in 1969, what was going on in the world was quite different, especially for folks that look like us. So right. my parents were just trying to make it. Hey, that frame I'm of reference that lead. Oh, that's right. I'm beating these kids. We ain't got time for that. I got to go to work and these white folks ain't up, right? So now all of that developed in how they would parent us, mm. right? And how they would, how that household would move. That's not my experience. That's my people's experience. And mm. I, I, I get that, but it's not my experience. Just like my kids, they didn't grow up in poverty the way I did. So if I ask them to be thinking about, well, you don't want to do this and that, they're looking at me like, Dad, have you seen the house we live in? It's beautiful. And mom's driving the Benz. What, what are you talking about? I want to have a poverty mindset. I don't get that, Dad. So realizing that that generational cohort will be quite different in how we view the world, how we view relationships, it's quite different. So we have to realize and recognize that, that the way we were brought up, may be quite different. And that means engaging with therapy may be an option that I need to look at. Um, and what I would, the tip that I would give is talk to those people in your social network that may have engaged in therapy. Right. Get hey, you, you did, you did therapy dog. How was that? Man, I liked it. I didn't, it took me three therapists to find the right one, but that was really helpful. Now, all of a sudden I have my peers that may have experience with something that I have no experience with. Mm -hmm. And now I get to tap into that. You got um, good expectations to walk into yes. as well. And you're not blind. That's right. That's uh, right. Dr. Dr. Yeager, I, once again, man, this has been a phenomenal interview. The opportunity to get your insight. You, you've put on a masterclass. Uh, just some <laughs> of the main points. When you talked about earlier, the discernment counseling, you looked at, the process of a relationship being its own shared space that creates its own rules and the enforcement of boundaries. I love it. Mm -hmm. Also being willing to, to say what I felt that was true for a while. I make a lot of videos on how marriage does have conditions, right? And one mm -hmm. of those conditions could determine if you stay married or not. So, That's right. That's right. Um, That's right. Man, we, we, we've had a blast. The listeners are um, definitely, I'm sure, uh, gonna gonna be commenting on this one for 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 time to come. Now, I always like every guest to have the opportunity to share with us either current or future projects. Obviously, mm -hmm. your book, How Am I Doing? Forty Conversations to Have with Yourself. I know that's available across all markets, but do share with the listeners um, projects you're on, future projects, how they can get in contact mm -hmm. with you, contact with you, how we can support the work you're doing. Yeah, so I'm doing a number of things. Uh, like you said, I've been uh, in the NBA for the last six seasons working with the Pistons. Um, moved on from the Pistons, going to begin to do some other work in the in the NFL, XFL, um, continuing to do some work in the NBA. So I'll still keep that rolling. Um, about to start a major podcast with some folks that have some reach uh, that should be coming probably in the next few months. Um, my book, How Am I Doing? 40 Conversations to Have with Yourself, is uh, you can find it anywhere, Barnes & Noble, you can go to Amazon, it's really everywhere. Um, but I'm just always interested, similar to you, of doing the work of systemic thinking, marriage, couple, long-term committed relationship work um, is something that I'm always uh, going to do and have done. I will continue in that vein. You can find me at any of the on any of the social media outlets, Instagram, Dr. Corey Yeager, 
Um, you can find me on TikTok. I mean, anywhere that you have used. But yeah, Dr. This Corey, man is everywhere. You Google Corey. I'm, I'm everywhere. Yes, yes. So yeah. if you just Google it, you can find all kinds of info. Um, but it was, has indeed been a pleasure to sit with you and, and have these conversations. You're doing great work. Keep doing the work. Um, oftentimes we can get discouraged when we are the unicorn in the room and there's just yeah. very few that look like us. Uh, we can't be discouraged. We've got to keep plugging forward and staying connected. Thank you. It's been a pleasure once again to have you on. I hope to have you back as well uh, to check in on all the amazing things you're doing. You are a true force when it comes to the field of counseling, mental health, and just overall personal self-development. Um, so I just really am, am humbled for the opportunity to have had this interview with you. Um, for those that have been listening, you've been tuning in to the Marriage Underdogs radio show, and I'm your host, Chris A. Matthews. Please like, comment, the show's available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We drop a new episode weekly, so we look forward to any comments and uh, likes, and I uh, look forward to you tuning in next week. Thank you. Appreciate it. Definitely. Thank you, Dr. Yeager. Yes, sir.